the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. As we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to shift gears and uh, <laughs> look at some dangerous sea creatures uh, with the author of a new book for young readers called The Lost Ship. His name is Jeff Lucas. He joins me by phone. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Hello, Jeff. Are you with me? Uh, you might need to hang up and call back because I'm not getting anything from you at all. Okay, he's going to call back and we'll get reconnected and make sure that, uh, that we can hear from him. A portion of the book's proceeds will be donated to the Nature Conservancy, whose mission is to conserve the lands and waters throughout the world. And uh, we're going to talk with uh, Jeff, um, who uh, is an experienced uh, amateur diver, and uh, the book is called The Lost Ship, and he's uh, supposed to call me back here. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll hear from him in uh, just a moment or so. There we go. Let's try this and see if it works. Hi, Jeff. Now I can hear you. Oh, good. You know, I, I could hear you. I heard all the intro and and, uh, and everything, but I switched phones, so. Well, I, that happens every once in a while. Um, Oh, okay. But, but I'm glad you called back, and then we've got uh, we've got a good connection now. And let's let's start out this way. The book is uh, called The Lost Ship. It's uh, geared toward young adult readers, um, but you or, have... or even a, even a little younger than that, fourth through sixth grade, considered really? the upper middle grade upper middle grade novels. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, how did your real-life experience as an amateur diver lead to you deciding to write this book? Well, I used to uh, dive when I was the age of the protagonist in the books, which is to say 12 years old, in Hawaii with the locals. And they were spearfishing for dinner, and I would accompany them. And I have a, a photo in my scrapbook a black and white Polaroid of me standing there with my mask on and an octopus strung around my shoulders. 
and later I found out how smart they were, and, and maybe this is redemption for the octopus that uh, became dinner that day. Well, how did that how did that translate to you deciding to write a book? Well, I always thought that that there was an opportunity there because there there hasn't been any books that included a great deal of marine biology, but also a lot of fun and a fun story for kids. And it sounded like uh, fun to write, and it turned out to be exactly that. I mean, I had a blast. Uh, have you uh, in, have you written any books before? Is this your first? No, I wrote a, a volleyball technique book uh, many years ago that was uh, translated into five languages, and so uh, and I've I've been writing all my life, so this is a little bit of a segue, is all. <laughs> I'd never done a, a, a kids book before, and and um, maybe not not a novel. No, I'd never done a novel before. wasn't even sure I could do it, to tell you the truth. So, <laughs> um, and the reason you wrote the volleyball book, and and I just I just want to go back and pick up on that, is because uh-huh. um, you coached a high school volleyball team to a state championship, which was the first championship that the school had won in any sport. Agreed. And I was as I was coaching, I was also playing. And I was also writing, and I was also researching, because I, wa- I would watch the best players in the world to see how they did things, because there really wasn't very good knowledge about the skills. I mean, volleyball is not that old of a sport, really, and particularly the way it's played these days. So that was what induced me to write it. Now that you've written this book, The Lost Ship, and, and it uh, uh, follows... Um, a, a sixth grader who dives alone in the ocean with uh, the single mission of photographing an octopus and some of the things that he runs into. But now that you've written this book, do you have the bug? Do you think you'll write some more? Is this possibly the first of a, a series? No, this is kind of a, you know, I included, I, I, I did, quite a bit of research. I mean, in fact, sort of found everything I thought was fun and interesting in the ocean, gathered it all together. Uh, there was, they, they encounter about 140 different creatures and environments in the ocean. And so I've pretty much done it. I mean, this is probably a one-off and also the story has a beginning and middle and an end. And, uh, so this is probably it, you know, but what I'm hoping is that it'll endure. Well, I've asked a lot of writers this, um, you know, that that write, uh, especially for young readers that write series or trilogies, and and I always wonder if if they write the first book and get to the end and think, but wait, there's more, and that didn't happen with this book. But do you have the bug for writing? Do you think you might see more books uh, in the future? Well, I've been writing what I called call short-lined pieces or micro-tales all my life, and I've got about 150 of them, and they look like poems, but they're not, um, they're, they're different from what's currently regarded as poetry, because they, each of them tells a story, and once again has a beginning and a middle and an end, a pause at the end of the line, and they're easy to read, and, but not necessarily 
simple or unsophisticated. They're just telling a story. So my my next endeavor would be to um, bring all of those together and talk about my experience of uh, not getting them published throughout my life. <laughs> <laughs> So it'll be a memoir. How's that? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, when um, when you were working on this book, how much of the book was based on experiences that you had and how much was based on some of the research you did? Because you consulted with a uh, marine biologist for some of the, the facts and, and accuracy of some of the things you were talking about in the book. I did, but... The book is mostly based on research, and it, of course, it's it includes environments, ocean, oceanic environments all over the world. And so, what I saw was very specific. In fact, the lady that I uh, you uh, consulted with, the marine biologist, was located in Hawaii, and so she was diving in Hawaii. And one of the things that she said, "Well, you don't have a." You can't have an anglerfish that's that long. Well, because the ones that she saw were the little orange ones that are six inches long. And I can go down to the Pike Place Market in Seattle and see anglerfish that are 40 inches long. And so um, it was, and of course, marine biologists very much specialize. And, and this is a, my, my knowledge, I guess you would say, is, is very wide, but not terribly deep. I mean, just deep enough to give the kid and the octopus some fun. <laughs> and in in the process of of doing this research um were you surprised by some of the things you found out because you talk about uh encountering 140 species but that's just scratching the surface no pun intended <laughs> well yeah they're all the good stuff though well uh, to give you an idea you asked me if if i found them fun or interesting i i think and so uh, have you heard of the harem fish? No. As in Sultan? No. Well, it's a fish, it's a male that has 15 or 18 females that it herds around and protects and, and fathers the baby fish. So what happens when it dies? I don't know. <laughs> well, obviously, Tom, one of the females turns into a male and takes over. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> how could, yeah, I, you know, usually, how could I not know you, that, Jeff? <laughs> well, you know, usually, Tom, usually the, the response is, is that true? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> but but there are so many things um, that that are interesting. Um, one of the things that's that's fascinating that you talk about in the book is the sea lily, which um they've they've been around um it's it's not a plant it's an animal um been around for 400 million years right yeah it's a very primitive life form and it actually looks like a flower i mean it has a stem and it has a top that is um very flower like and uh, petals etc and it filters plankton out of the um, the current for the little animals that make up the colony uh, to uh, sustain. So, yeah, it's a, a there are all kinds of really fun things. 
Well, and, and you talk about barrel sponges that live more than 2,000 years. That's, that's an amazing length of time. Um, it sure is. Yeah, and of course, and, and they get to be big enough that the kid and the octopus are able to enter it. And, uh, and of course, then I, I get to explain a little bit to the kids how sponges work. And, of course, they, they're, once again, they filter plankton out of the current via their sides, and then they um, send it out through the top kind of like a chimney and so there's constantly current flowing through the barrel sponge and it's that's what it's eating is the plankton now you talked about being in hawaii and and going out with some of the uh people that were um fishing for dinner basically exactly and, and encountering a an octopus but um did you grow up in hawaii no, I didn't. I grew up in the state of Washington, but we would visit Hawaii. And, of course, the other interesting thing, I'm living in Seattle now, it, the biggest octopuses are right off the coast here. It's on the west coast of, uh, of, the, of the U.S., and, and they get to be, you know, a couple hundred pounds. So they're bruisers. Yeah, that's good size. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the biggest one on record is 600 pounds, they found. Now, when you were exploring a little bit on your trips to Hawaii, um, uh-huh. what kept you out of harm's way? Well, actually, I I found out later from the people I was diving with that there was a tiger shark, which is a dangerous one and and tends to be uh, um, live around the reef. I didn't see it, which was probably fortunate, but I found out. But these these uh, young men were, my, my dad paid them to take me out, and so they were kind of looking after me. Okay. And, and, I, yeah. wanted, and, I, and I want to talk about how that plays out in the, uh, in the book, too. The book is The Lost Ship. My guest is uh, Jeff Lucas, and... Um, and, and I want to talk about some of your experiences, but also some of the experiences in the book and, and how your protagonist manages to stay out of harm's way because you go out of your way in this book to talk about some pretty dangerous uh, sea creatures. And I'm thinking... Well, I... I go, ahead. go ahead. Well, I, I would start out by saying he does not stay out of harm's way by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I mean, he starts out in a rip current, and then he gets wrapped up in kelp, and there are all kinds of things that threaten him. Well, let's talk about some of those things, but I have to take a short break first. And Jeff, can Fine. you stick around for a few minutes, and we'll talk be, some more? Be, be glad to. Great. Sure. Jeff Lucas is the author of The Lost Ship, and we're going to talk. And it's about a, um, a, a sixth grader who uh, dives alone in the ocean 
looking to photograph an octopus and some of the things that confront him in the process of doing just that. And uh, what's confronting me right now is a short break where we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. More with Jeff Lucas on the Tom Sumner Program is straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. 
And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of a new book called The Lost Ship, and uh, his name is uh, Jeff Lucas. He joins me by phone. Hi, Jeff. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, that's fine. It was okay. I enjoyed listening to the... Oh, <laughs> the, the Attorney the General. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Exactly. Well, everybody seems to like you, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, I don't play the ones from the people I who see, don't. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you're pretty. Uh, you're you're pretty good at making someone feel comfortable. That's for sure. I uh, commend you for that. Well, I, that's that's. I just think we should all feel comfortable. Although I'm not sure I would feel comfortable in the environment that you send this sixth grader into, <laughs> in in the book The Lost Ship, um, and and basically the premise of the book is that this uh, this fearless sixth grader dives alone in the ocean with one single mission that's to photograph an octopus and and then he's confronted by all kinds of things and and i was asking you before the break jeff uh, how he manages to stay out of harm's way and of course part of what makes the book interesting and exciting is um as you pointed out he kind of doesn't (laughs) no he he doesn't but of course he's got uh, he's got a, a company there because uh you know the 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 way it starts is that the kid's father is a professional diver working on a way to talk underwater. He loses one of the devices overboard, and the octopus slips away with it and learns how to talk. And so the two of them are able to go across uh, the reef. And uh, the octopus, of course, explains all about what's going on and tries to keep him out of trouble. You know, not doing that very well, however. <laughs> Now, you had some real-life experiences um, when you would visit Hawaii when you were young, and uh-huh. you would go out, and, and you'd go out with uh, professional divers, and I, 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 I'm trying to lead up to asking whether this book is set in Hawaii and whether or not you did any diving on the west coast of the U.S., I did not, although the diving here is pretty extraordinary. Of course, the waters are cold. You need a wetsuit, whereas you don't in Hawaii. But the book is, I wanted to include as many of the interesting things in the ocean as I could. And, of course, they're not all in one place. And so he goes at the beginning of the book from a temperate environment to a tropical environment, which, of course, couldn't happen. But the the there were things that go on in the temperate environment that were too good to pass up and so one of one of the things is that all all the things in the book that he encounters are real but they don't all live in the same place gotcha and and i was um i i was looking at at some of these uh um 
the olive green sea snake, which is uh, it has a venomous bite that's ten times more powerful than a king cobra, the torpedo ray that can shock people with 200 volts. Um, it, these things, how do, how do you, how, how can someone who's diving avoid just swimming into these things, or do they tend to avoid humans in the water? Well, in the case of the torpedo ray, of course, it's just uh, lying on the bottom and waiting for a fish to come by. And then when the fish does come by and swims over it, it whips up its wings and gives them a shock and, and has dinner. In the case of the olive green sea snake, you may not be able to avoid it because it's kind of curious and kind of friendly. And so it will come up to you and swim through your legs and, and, and check you out. And, uh, but, of course, they're not looking really for trouble. I mean, they're, they're just curious. So it, they're not likely to zap somebody unless they feel threatened. Exactly. I mean, if you if you did something that it perceived as 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 being harm harmful to it, it would bite. But you know, it's biting for dinner. I mean, uh, it envenomates things for dinner, and it doesn't even have to envenomate every time it it bites. And so, in this case, of course, the the sea snake approaches the kid, and as the octopus tells him, he's fallen in love with him, and and ends up biting him five or six times. But uh, and of course the kid goes through all the death throes before he realizes that the uh, Armstrong tells him that the sea snake didn't envenomate him and that they were just love bites. Well, if if our character, if Jack, um, uh -huh. is his his single mission is to photograph an octopus. Once he encounters the octopus, how is it that he ends up? heading into all these different adventures is that his idea or is that the octopus <laughs> well when when the octopus came out of the plankton so he starts out as the size of a grain of rice part of the plankton and when he came down out of the plankton he fell into a cavern in which there was an old sailing ship and he uh, describes that experience to jack and Jack concludes that it could be the greatest maritime discovery in history. So they head across the reef together to, to find the ship. And that's, that's where the lost ship comes in. Of course, it turns out to be Vasco da Gama's caravel, and uh, the treasure hunters show up, and there's all kinds of action when they finally get to the ship. Well, that sounds like fun. Did you... Um, who... Do you look to as as people who might have inspired your writing? You know that's a really good question because I I, I don't think I can point to anybody per, in in particular. I think it's just something. I mean, you, you, I ha had a need to to create, and and writing was the way that it uh, manifested itself. And so I'm I'm not sure I can point to any one person to tell you the truth. I mean, although I've always loved to read, and, and I love words. I mean, I love playing around with words. Um, but who were some of the people that, that you read? Did you tend to read about things that had to do with uh, um, marine biology, marine life? Uh, okay, well, you know, that, 
That is a great question. Because when I was 13, or maybe it was 12, I don't know, but I was given a book called I Dive for Treasure by Lieutenant Harry Reesberg. And he was a helmet diver. And that book absolutely enthralled me. I mean, he, he discovered these ships and he found treasure and he did all kinds of really wild things. And then in the back of the book, he had, it was called The Lost Ships Sail for Me. And he had like three or four pages of all the Santa Marias and Santa Anitas and, and, and all the galleons that had gone down with, and, and he had the amount of treasure for each one. And of course, that I found absolutely enchanting. So that, that's a great question, Tom. Thank you for that. <laughs> did, um, did you ever fantasize when you were diving in Hawaii that you might go exploring and, and find buried treasure? Well, you know, at that point, now, now, of course, treasure hunters are kind of looked down on. I mean, the treasure hunters in the lost ship are the bad guys. But, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, once again, I was 12 years old, and the idea of diving into the ocean and bringing up treasure was, was uh, hugely appealing. I mean, I, I, I did absolutely fantasize about it. That's another good question, Tom. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, I, I'm, you know, really curious about the creative process and, and how, uh -huh. it, how it unfolds, what, you know, what makes people write about the things that they do and where the ideas come from. And so, right. I, you know, I, I was trying to get at where some of these, um, some of the ideas for, for this particular story or, or group of adventures in this story where they might have germinated? Well, you know, part of it was back to the Hawaiians spearing the octopus for dinner. I mean, I found out later when I was older, I read about octopuses and found out how smart they were. And I think I felt somewhat contrite about having been involved in, in the death of an octopus. And of course, they're, you know, with, with their being smart, they're very high in number of neurons uh, among creatures. And so there's, to me, that was the opportunity to bring the kids into the ocean and, and have uh, an explainer right there, namely the octopus. Oh, I, I love that idea. I, I think that's tremendous um, because, it, because it, it allows this, uh, this young boy to to still act on his own, you know, without parental oversight and supervision and so on, you know. So he's he's kind of on his own, but not left oh, yeah. to his oh, own yeah. devices. He, he's definitely on his own because, uh, you know, diving alone is really something that nobody should do. And he knows he's not supposed to do it, but... Uh, he he goes ahead as a twelve year old would anyway, thinking that he can you know pull it off, and then of course he encounters the octopus and and then they they have a lot of, they have a lot of fun not not quite as much fun as the writer however <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely the most fun project I've ever done in my life. I laughed the whole way through. How long did it take you to write the book? Well, I I started it in 1986 just trying starting to research and and i wrote a few pages like 10 or 12 pages to see if i could do it and then i had to set it aside for a while 
And then I finished the research, and I ended up with pages and pages and pages. And when I came back to it, it took me an entire four years to reacquaint myself with my research and to put it in an order that made a story. I mean, that was the hardest part of the whole process. But once I started the writing, oh, man, that was a blast. That was fun. That, that was the fun part. That was probably a year or so I, it took to write it. And did you, um, were you, did you feel like you were writing from an outline? Or once you had compiled all the information, did it just sort of flow almost like it was writing itself? Uh, no. Well, you know, that's, that's a really good question because it, it required a very tight outline. I mean, that's what I was doing for the four years that I was going over my my research was putting it in an order because you have to make transitions. And I was trying to get as many of the sea creatures in as I could. Now, in the writing process, what, what the fun part of that is that you don't really know what you're going to say until you get to that point. And then that's when you find all the silly stuff to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, did... As you were writing the story, did some of the elements that, that found their way into the story, did they take you by surprise at all, ever? Well, yeah, you know, what the fun part was to was discovering. I mean, that's really what you're doing to a great extent. So he's the, he, the kid tells the octopus that Vasco da Gama lost on his venture around the Cape of Good Hope. He lost two ships and two-thirds of his crew to all kinds of horrible deaths. And the octopus says, well, why did he do that? And the kid says, well, he, he wanted spices. And so the octopus says, well, let me see if I've got this straight. I mean, he had all this terrible thing on this trip for spices. How could that be worth it? And of course, the spices were cinnamon, ginger, and clove. And kid responded i mean and this just fell into place the kid responded well not worth it no cinnamon rolls no ginger snaps no clove gum come on armstrong it was worth it so yeah <laughs> there was definitely just dis definitely discovery involved i mean and some of the things just fell together really well I, I feel lucky about that um how long has the uh has the book been out was it um, January, the end or? of last year, like okay. November, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so you've had a chance to get a little feedback. How has the feedback been from people? Well, I'll tell you, I this is something that I don't think too many authors do, and that is that before I went out with it, I commissioned a research company to recruit kids because I wanted to get their their feedback, and they. Uh, 12 out of 12 liked it, 12 out of 12 would recommend it to friends, and 11 out of 12 would read it again. And they said things like, I'm going to save my $25 and buy the book when it comes out. And it was the second best book I've ever read. And then the incisive kids said, Adventure, Laughs, and Facts. I like that in a book. So the response has been pretty good, I would say. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. And... um. That's an interesting process for getting feedback, and I, I was kind of leading into uh, asking because writing is a, a very solitary thing. Um, 
do you enjoy the the back end part now that the book is out do you imagine yourself going out and doing book signings and readings and well i I'm, I'm supposed to i had a uh school district in el paso buy 400 copies wow and and they've invited me to speak to them and i've been told that i'm going to have fun i haven't done any of that yet and uh and and there certainly has been a lot of uh of no fun kind of work get, getting it actually out there i mean i'm not a computer guy and there's quite a bit of that going on <laughs> i i would think how how much of the work that went into this book um was possible in part because of time you had available because of the the quarantines and lockdowns of the pandemic well, I finished it well before that, oh. and so it, it it just took that length of time to to get it into print. So the quarantine really didn't affect me in that regard. Was there a bit of a, a delay at all because of the because of the pandemic in in getting through the the process of of getting it out? I'm not sure to tell you the truth about that because, it, you know, it it was all going on. I mean, the, the, I don't really think the pandemic played a part in it, but uh, it, it did take a lot of time to get it out. That's for sure. I, I just I've talked to a few writers who said, yeah, we were going to come out in March of 2020 or April of uh, 2020. Uh -huh. and, and the publisher put it off, you know, because of the pandemic and it ended up coming out in december of 2020 or something oh. i and i just wondered if that if that played a role and the other thing too is i've talked to some writers who were not as productive as they think they ought to have been <laughs> during the various lockdowns over the last couple of years i've had a couple that were pretty successful writers say yeah i really was kind of like a deer in the headlights i you know i've I was as stunned by the, the whole pandemic as everybody else. He says, I look back on it now and I think, boy, I could have gotten so much writing done, you know, and, and just yeah, didn't, right. and just didn't do it. Um, but that's, that's why I wondered if it, if it had any impact on, on your project at all. Well, you know, well, one of the things I would say that, uh, about the pandemic is that it brought kids home and gave them I mean, to the extent that they were doing their schooling online, it gave them some time to do some extra reading. And, uh, so, I mean, I heard about one little girl, and her mother said she kept putting the book up on the shelf, and then it would show up on the table, and it, or it would show up on the girl's bed. <laughs> she was pulling it out and reading it again. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, and that's great. And that may be uh, a silver lining in the uh in the whole pandemic and and lockdown scenario is is that maybe it exposed a lot more kids to reading i i think that's good insight i mean and i would agree with uh, with you on that um so i so, mean i i would just say this about this whole project and that is that i i hope the kids have like half or maybe two-thirds as much fun reading it as I did writing it. <laughs> that would be the goal. And, of course, then they're getting all the marine biology with, without really having work. You know, they're, they're having fun all the way. So. Has, um, 
you know, I, I, I kind of asked you about this already, you know, just out of curiosity, if, if you had gotten the bug, if you thought there's uh, uh, another book coming from, uh, from Jeff, but I, have you thought about if you were to do another book, what direction you might go in, or would it be um, another sea epic? No, I've pretty well exhausted all the fun things in the ocean in, in regard to this the sea part of it. But once it, again, it would be back to the memoir of the short micro tales. And and what's got me stopped right now is that when I when I taught the class, I taught. Uh, classes in poetry and uh, one at the university of washington and and i generated an outline to how you evaluate whether a poem is skillful or not and one of the things that i'm feeling like i have to do at the very base is to define art and of course plato failed and socrates failed and hegel and kant and susan sontag they all failed so that's kind of a that's kind of a tricky thing to do so I, I, I've been working on that. <laughs> You're searching for the definition of art? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck the, with that. Thank you. Well, you know, the problem is you've got all those other art forms on the other side of the equation that have to fit your definition. That's the hard part. Yeah, that's true. So, well, it's, it's yeah. like I often try to um, explore creativity and whether or not it can be taught. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great issue, I would say. Uh, I'm just so, I'm fascinated by the creative process and and you know whether it can be taught or if it can just simply be encouraged. Well, you know, I can say one one thing about my creative process. I'm ADD, and so what that means <laughs> is that we don't have filters. And so, for example, I saw the, a great example. And it, it's if you were planning on going to Hawaii and you're working on the transportation element, you wouldn't be thinking about canoes or zip lines or wingsuits. You'd be thinking about the Stanford way, uh, standard way. I mean, unless of course you're ADD too. Whereas, whereas we we have all those other ways to get to, to get to Hawaii besides uh, uh, flying. <laughs> Yeah, I I prefer to drive, but oh, good, I like it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we are almost out of time, Jeff, and I've enjoyed talking with you so much. And and the book sounds like so much fun. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it okay. uh, it, it it really sounds like a fun story. And I appreciate you spending time with me and the listeners to share some of. Uh, what went into the book it's called the lost ship and uh while it's designed for um middle grade it's a considered a middle grade novel um i i think it'd be a lot of fun for anyone uh, jeff well you know i do my I, I i hired a publicist and he said well do you have a website and i said well no who has a website well i've got one now and it's jefflucasauthor.com and actually, the website, I didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, it's, I, I had some input, but it's really uh, it's fun in itself. I mean, it has some octopus um, lore, et cetera. So. 
Well, you just that's, that's where you just jumped ahead of me a little bit because that's exactly what I was going to ask: is where people can well, find but, out well, more about you and your work, past, <laughs> present, and future. But you laid it right out there, Jeff. That was perfect. <laughs> well, well, I was told I should get that in. So, <laughs> no, I I yeah. always make a point to let listeners oh, I, uh, know where they can find out more about you and okay, your work. Okay, thank you. Anyway, and, Jeff, and you know what I would I'd say to you, Tom, is that if you get the book and and you read it to some young person, both of you will have a blast. Sounds good. <laughs> well, keep up the good okay. work. Hey, <laughs> Thank you, this Tom. This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flip Flip Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. 
In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take riding lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed. The tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags. And I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have them. Yes, one. speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. I Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor. And your mother's doctor. And your college roommate's doctor. And your best friend from high school's doctor. And your babysitter's I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. One, two, three, four, five. Again now row the boat ashore Hallelujah Michael row the boat ashore keep it rolling Hallelujah Everybody hum Wait a second Dicky Dick we we hum it this I want to go back to the start and take it one more time from the top what? Michael row the boat ashore I just like everybody to join in this time Okay one more time Okay right. gang in a world torn asunder by strife and by unhappiness, what sound in the world enters into our heart and brings love and brotherhood, but the sound of people's voices joining together and singing? So let's roof the rafters, people. Let's fill this room with the most joyous sound known to man. People. People singing. For in the ether of the air, in the great sky of, of, the, of the faraway land, Fill the sky, the musical sky, with voices intertwining themselves in a giant choral arrangement like colors in your mind and lines going up and down as the voices of people join together. So friends, let's fill this room with love. Let's fill this room with music and song. For people driving by, maybe outside, they'll be in their car and we'll be in here singing, they'll be driving by and, and as they drive by they'll probably say, what the hell's going on? Let's sing out now, friends. Michael, row the boat ashore. Sing out. Hallelujah. Michael, row the boat ashore. Hallelujah. Everybody. Wait a second, Dickie, that guy wasn't singing there. 
Which guy? The, girl, the guy with the, the girl with the blonde hair. You the weren't singing that, very that, well there. Will you join in with us and fill it? You will? You will? You'll sing with us now, huh? Go ahead. Here we go, gang. Michael rode the boat ashore. that boat ashore come on Mike everybody sing now Let's do again. Now, what do you want to do? Every time we, we, we're humming, you want to do something different? Well, I have an idea that I like. Why don't we, gang, why don't... People with love in your hearts. Are let's already... all show our love. Let's all open. Let's start the hum. Go back to the... Take it from the top of the hum. Top of the hum. But this time, let's all hum with our mouths open. Well, hum it. Well, why do you want to do that? We'll get more volume. If well, we... why do you... We have plenty of volume. Why do you want more volume? So that Michael can hear us. Maybe even Ralph will hear us. <laughs> you hear us also. So, gang, let's all hum with our mouths open this time and get Tommy, a little more volume. That's a nice idea. Really, that's a great idea. But you so, cannot hum with your mouth open. Yes, you do. All you you have don't to... ask anybody to hum with their mouth open. Yes, all you have you to do... You can't do that. You so Listen, if you tried to hum with your mouth open, you could hurt yourself. That's too bad. Yeah. So he is. I'll tell you what, if you want more volume, why don't you ask everybody to ah? I mean, not just a regular ah, but like this. Ah, 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 See? It's louder, it's easy to do, and if you ask everybody in this entire room, to awe together in unison to Michael, you will experience a thrilling, exciting, vibrant, it'll be a, a vibrant experience. Tremendous. Let's all open up our hummers now and all awe together, okay? Everybody except you. You hum with your mouth open.
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better <coughs> now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half the docs were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super damn important that we practice isolation cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation it's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it then we're all gonna die if we don't do it then we're all gonna die and so i hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart cause it's already scary and we're only at the start if you get bored just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized oh super bad transmittable contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine the last until july a super bad transmittable Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. From the Thompson it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I, I'm always amazed at how fast this three-hour tour goes. And uh, I want to say thanks to all of my guests. I hope you enjoyed uh, as much as I did talking with uh, first-time author Jeff Lucas of The Lost Ship, which is uh, a book, um, well, designed for middle grade uh, it's it's being called a middle grade novel but uh, it it sounds like a lot of fun and um, before that in the uh, second hour we talked about a new podcast from Michaela well I'm going to do it again I can't find uh, Renee Johnson Michaela Renee Johnson called but why and uh, we started out this morning talking with Joe uh, Loizzo, um, about, uh, he's co-author of a book called Boundless Leadership, he and uh, Elazar Aslan, and uh, it's the breakthrough method to realize your vision, empower others, and ignite positive change. So anyway, uh, there's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. Stay bundled up. There's a lot of snow out there. And uh, I'll be back for another edition of the Tom Sumner program starting tomorrow at 9. Uh, State Representative John Cherry will be on the show tomorrow. And we'll have some other interesting uh, guests as well. 
So stay warm, stay dry, and good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.